Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Muddy News Media. Welcome to the Offside Rule in association with Football Manager. I'm Kate Borsay, coming at you on this VE Day bank holiday. Unless you're listening in later, in which case, imagine it's a Friday and it's a bank holiday. Alongside me today, a couple of hardworking wrens, I think I can best describe them, ready to bring you some footballing knowledge and insight and a little bit about what's going on for them as well. It's Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen. Hello, ladies. Hello. Well, Hello. <laughs> I have to ask how the week's gone for you, Haley. first. Oh God, every day's blending into one. It is just like Groundhog Day. And it's just also confusing because my other half was like, we're getting a delivery on Monday. He said, well, I thought it was bank holiday. I said, no, no, it's bank holiday tomorrow. I said, bank holiday Monday is now Friday. And he's like, well, who the hell knows what day it is anyway? Yes. Who was surprised by today's bank holiday? I was, Lindsay, and I know you were too. Yes, I've booked things in, not knowing, being asked, to, are you sure it's bank holiday? Yes, I'm absolutely sure I'm still going to be doing these things. So um, full on at the moment, uh, we have a show that we're doing as part of the production company that co-produces the podcast. We have Offside Productions and they're making a show at the moment called The Show Must Go On, which I'm doing. Um, and that's been full on booking guests, booking comedians, trying myself to sound funny at times, which is difficult. <laughs> no, it's yeah. not, hoops. I have to say... <laughs> There are a couple of brilliant episodes about to hit you. Asha Phillip is uh, someone coming up and you had uh, GB Sailor Luke Patience as well as some great comedy talent. So if you're looking for a bit of light relief over this bank holiday, folks, check out the show Must Go On, heartily endorsed by us, of course. Of course, this weekend's really special, isn't it? And it is a time to reflect. Is anyone celebrating? Is anyone getting involved in any celebrations? Because I must admit, I haven't seen anything going on around where I am. I'm having a party. Are you, well, Hayley get, McQueen? Yes. Have you got bunting? Because that's what we I wanted have, to get. Well, get this. So in our little hamlet, we have um, lots of, I would say, elderly ladies. Quite a few of them live on their own. And we have this WhatsApp group, which is great fun. We've had a house party as well. And the, the, the ages range. I think I'm maybe the youngest on the street at the moment, although a friend of mine from BT Sport has just moved into the street as well. So she's now officially the youngest. Well, Ayla's the youngest, I should say, my daughter. But um, yeah, it, it ranges all the way up into um, Pat, who is 90 years old, who basically started in the 1960s, a group where all the women used to get together twice a year in the summer and at Christmas and to kind of um, socialise and they would all have a, a group obviously they, they weren't on WhatsApp then and in fact they probably didn't even have phones did they back then and they would all meet up they'd go to the church together they'd celebrate and do things together so we're continuing in the oh, spirit and we have a big um, we have a committee and on our email we've we've all been putting forward ideas so we're all heading out onto the street socially distanced of course with a few drinks and um, one of the neighbours has hired a speaker and she's going to be playing out uh, Winston Churchill's famous end of war speech and we're having some music and everyone's going to bring their own food and drinks and all just kind of mingle in the street and a couple of the ladies as well have sewn bunting and they're encouraging everyone to wear red, blue and white so (gasps) I think that's just lovely. Well if you do fancy making some bunting Lindsay and I think I might get my, my two on this as I'm about to 
to bash both their heads together after a week of homeschooling where I feel like I'm nearly at breaking point. Um, you can go on to a couple of websites. I think the BBC are doing it as well. You can download bunting to then colour in. So if you want to make oh, your own VE Day bunting, okay. that's a really nice thing to do. Well, I can do that. And then the other thing I was going to do was introduce some rations because I don't know about you, but my fridge door is going bilio. <laughs> open shut, open shut. Much needed rations, especially sugar. Sugar needs to be rationed in this house. Uh, All right, well, let's press on with football matters. Um, The news cycle, of course, surrounding the coronavirus pandemic um, and everything else is constantly changing. But let's get a couple of thoughts on the following. Lots of developing lines as we await the latest from Project Restart, which is, of course, all about getting uh, English clubs underway. Richard Bevan, who's chief of the LMA, uh, has said this week that if clubs don't back playing at neutral venues then the season will be cancelled there are 92 matches left to play and of course they can't all be done within the grounds these specific grounds available and that neutral stadium proposal by the way needs 14 out of the 20 clubs in the Premier League to vote in favour for it to be adopted If we go overseas uh, within Europe, the Bundesliga, that's the hot topic of conversation this week. Uh, They've been given the go-ahead to get going on May the 16th. Uh, Who's excited about that one? Hurrah, some football will be available. I've got BT Sport. I'm just like, yes, there's going to be something we can watch. There are nine games per team remaining of the Bundesliga. Uh, They'll all be behind closed doors. Meanwhile, in Holland, this has uh, recently come out, their sports minister's just announced that fans will not be able to attend any games until a vaccine is found can I get your reaction to those two points then Hayley just on I mean you know a vaccine is such an open-ended search at the moment of course there there are interesting things happening but that could be a year or so it could be a year or so and so so what so they're going to wait for a vaccine and then wait for everybody to be vaccinated that could take some time in itself good point so good point i don't quite know whether this will be batted back or not this is this is just what what i've been hearing over the last day or two um lindsay this this neutral venue argument of course you're one of the reporters who'll potentially be going uh, mm. to these games. Well, probably, likely be going to some of these um, games um, if and when the season's restarted. I'm all in favour of a neutral venue, partly for that reason, because I have a vested interest that, you know, work would resume. But um, in all seriousness, considering uh, all of the the safety elements to this and doing it in an appropriate fashion. I do think that the neutral venue is the way forward. So my suggestion would be taking somewhere like Wembley, cordoning it off, making sure that the the teams are all there in lockdown at hotels. Everyone's tested so that they have to have that first, whether you're staff, whether you're going to be there, whether it's someone like myself, whoever it is that's going to be involved, I think needs to be tested first. You need to make sure that the player's safety and their families and everyone else involved is first and foremost. But I think if you're going to get this off the ground behind closed doors, that's the sort of venue it needs to be at. Uh, you can control that. You can stop cars getting there by closing all the car parks. I think it's one of those venues that you can manage. And you would have that temptation, I'm sure, from people like Liverpool fans who want to go and celebrate when Liverpool lift the title. Um, It would deter them, it being in London, and it would deter them if they knew when they got there, there wasn't anywhere to park or be or get to and it's cordoned off. So I think that has to be the way forward. And equally with the Women's Super League, I think you could do the same sort of thing, but at St George's Park with that and finish the top flight of both men's and women's football. But I do not have an answer for the rest of it. 
I cannot think about the EFL and how that comes into mm. it because there's so many teams and there just aren't enough venues. Mm. I've, I've worked on the um, Audi Cup before and um, presented from the Allianz Arena over three days where they do like a, a tournament. Obviously, lots of the teams who are sponsored by Audi all get together. So we're buying Munich, Manchester United are one of those. And you'd have a game in the morning, a game at lunchtime, a game in the afternoon. I can't remember if there was a match mm. on the evening as I well. I did that but one year it, as well. It, yeah, it was a brilliant way of doing it. Um, of course, it was great for the fans because they could dip in and out throughout the day. There won't be any fans, but it's, yes, it means you've got... Um, potentially up to eight teams and all the people there but you'd have to be very careful about the you know the comings and goings from the stadium but at least everything's there it's built it's done it's steam cleaned or whatever it needs to happen to the stadium and and, and almost do it like a, a mini tournament throughout the day like a little bit of a marathon mm. which would be great to watch on tv a deep clean rather than a steam clean. I think you might be getting your it, yeah. dry cleaning terminology uh, uh, mixed up there. But 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 no, I steaming is good entirely. for the sinuses. <laughs> no, I ordered a steam cleaner off um, Amazon last week. That's what it is. I'm obsessed with it. I've been cleaning the floors, the blinds, the windows, everything. <laughs> I try yeah. to think how many rash Amazon purchases have been made during this lockdown. All right, let's move on to today's show. Uh, and as we referenced at the start, we're going to be focusing on VE Day by um, by having some celebrations of our own, looking at the lives of footballers who fought in World War II and we'll be uh, bringing in some of our favourite footballing victories in Europe as well. Uh, Plus we're going to take Gordon Taylor's idea of shortening football matches and well just run to the hills with it basically. (laughs) And we're on Jack Radio every Friday at four o'clock so listen in then. We'll meet again Don't know where Don't know where But I know we'll meet again some sunny day. All right, let's get cracking with VE Day. Uh, Friday, 8th of May today marks 75 years since the end of the Second World War in Europe. So let's celebrate it by bringing you a bit of football history and a bit of a history lesson for all of us. When I was researching this, I found it really enlightening. Well, as you might be aware, both of you, to build up the armies to fight, Britain enlisted national service on young men, many of whom had been footballers pre-war. And so to honour them, we've decided to tell you some of their stories and what happened to them in the war as well. I just want to kick this off by really paying tribute to football's role in World War Two, and it it sort of made me think about what's going on at the moment as well in not of course dismissing anything you know to do with war or to do with the pandemic but just to recognize the importance of football as a social activity um in keeping for example in world war ii troops occupied you know um half of britain's army one and a half million troops spent most of the second world war in britain and it was essential to keep them entertained to keep the public's morale high and also football matches raised money for the war effort as well. Yeah, I don't know about you both, but I was so grateful a couple of years ago when Sainsbury's did that Christmas advert because there's so many young people that maybe don't know so much about the war and they just learn about it through school, like your children, Kate, and that they suddenly got engrossed with this advert. And it was really helping spread that message that football was that thing that could actually bring down the barriers for that Christmas day. And 
I, I loved watching that because it made you realise just how powerful sport is. Mm. Of course, the uh, FA banned football completely in uh, 1939, earlier on in the year. It did come back because there was a need recognised there for some games to be played. It, it sort of wasn't wasn't part of an official league, but there were games, for example, taking place between teams. So initially, no, but there was, you know, some, some form of recognised football going on during the war. Let's talk about the footballers and, and some of the efforts involved, though. Hayley. OK, well, I'm going to tell you about uh, one of the most famous footballers to play for Middlesbrough, Wilf Mannion, the blonde-haired golden boy of the North East at the time. He played 350 times for Middlesbrough. He was uh, an inside forward. He earned 26 national caps as well and scored 111 goals in his career. And in 1940, he actually went to France with the British Army to take part in a, a massive offensive designed to stop the progressive of Germany's Western offensive. And he took part in the siege of Sicily, a very famous battle during which time his captain at the time was, how about this, England international cricketer Hedley Verity. I've got one for you as well. Um, at a match on Easter Saturday in 1939, Bolton Wanderers captain Harry Gosling made a speech urging spectators to join up. The following Monday, he and the entire first team joined the 53rd Field Regiment of the Royal Artillery and players from a number of other clubs also joined up together as well, including Liverpool, whose players formed a club section in the King's Regiment as well. So it was often done en masse. Uh, Gosling was promoted to sergeant and served... An important role during troop withdrawal at Dunkirk. Um, in 1942, Goslin and the rest of the Wanderers served in Egypt and made their way through the Middle East um, and even managed to fit in the time for a friendly match against members of the Polish army. It's not a, a entirely heartening tale, though. Goslin died in a mortar explosion. I've got a couple of varying dates. I was unable to pin down one, but in 1943 or 1944. Um, so sadly, he didn't make it out of the war. I was going to tell you about Stan Mortensen because he was considered one of the best British players that there were and the most likely candidate for athletic stardom when the Second World War broke out. He served as a wireless operator for the Royal Air Force and then was involved in a plane crash and it killed everyone else on board. He sustained a number of injuries and then the injuries allowed Mortensen to return to England in 1941, which meant that in uh, a year later, he began playing for Blackpool again. Mortensen was a centre-forward. He scored 197 goals in 317 appearances between 1941 and 1955. He managed an impressive goal-to-game ratio for Arsenal as a guest player as well in the 1944-45 season at 25 goals to 19 appearances. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? Hayley. It is. And let's not forget about the Scotsmen as well, who, of course, fought for loads Great of Britain. Them, loads of Scotsmen yeah, there, involved. There is a in lot. Mm, Willies, Williams, and Angus's and Gregor's. And I've got uh, <laughs> Willie Thornton here, who's actually one of Scotland's all time top scorers. He played for Rangers for nearly two decades. He scored 138 goals in 219 performances. That was between 1936 and 54. What a return. And of course, had interruptions there whilst war was going on. He retired as a player. He managed Dundee and Partick Thistle. He's actually even a caretaker manager for Rangers for one year as well. Um, so he served in the Scottish Horse Regiment of the British Territorial Army during World War II. He won the military medal, which was awarded for acts of gallantry and devotion to duty under fire. 
Ah. We can't actually do this as well without mentioning Sir Tom Finney because Preston North End fans will be screaming if we didn't. He was a youngster from Preston and he played within the youth development project at Preston North End, uh, worked his way up from the youth team to top flight just by the age of 17. That's how much his talent was shining. And then the war broke out, which put pay to that for a while. He joined the British Army, served in North Africa for the duration of the war, and he was just 24 when the war ended so still had playing years ahead of him and boy did he make the most of them he joined Preston North End 1946 played until 1960 and he scored 187 goals in 433 matches excellent yeah it's um names that you sort of forget I suppose would be associated with the with the wartime efforts and it's got me feeling very patriotic indeed we're going to keep that nice warm fuzzy feeling going in the podcast uh, by celebrating some of the more recent footballing victories in Europe today is all about VE Day, but we thought uh, that uh, being that we're a football podcast, we should probably talk about some football memories of our own and our own favourite British teams, wins in European competitions. Um, it could be Champions League, Europa League, the Euros, uh, or any time England, Wales, Scotland or Northern Ireland travelled uh, to the mainland and tasted sweet, sweet victories. So time to revel in some victorious football moments. Uh, who wants to get us started with this? Well, I've got a team in Scotland and a team in England who both managed to score seven goals in the Champions League. And I'm going to start with a game that I was at that I literally couldn't believe. Manchester United were 2-1 down in the first leg of the Champions League against Roma. And they came to Old Trafford. I was working on the game. I was going into the mix zone to do post-match interviews. I was hoping I was going to get enough players to stop potentially even you know a goal scorer or two um well there were seven goals it was one of the greatest nights i've ever been to it was just ridiculous you were just watching goal after goal after goal this was back in 2007 i can't believe it was that long ago and i was just 27 years old goodness me um i don't think i even realized how special it was at the time but the craziest thing is it was 7-1 of course to united the best goal of the game was actually the one scored by roma de rossi it's an incredible goal and when you look at his career which spanned 18 years for his hometown club he just retired uh, this season or he's about to retire at the end of the season whenever that may be in Italy. That goal is, of course, edited into some of his uh, greatest goals, but you just don't realise it was the 7-1. It was probably a goal he wants to forget, but one, of course, we all remember for, for, for obvious reasons being a Manchester United fan, but it was just such a special night. I remember sitting next to him, Mandy Henry, who was my colleague at MUTV, and we were just like dumbfounded. And when I think that the, the sixth goal went in, it was almost just like there was a bit of an applause, but everyone was just staring at each other, like so open mouthed almost. Yeah. <laughs> so that was quite an incredible night. And it was one of the nights where the atmosphere really was particularly special at Old Trafford because I've yeah. been there when the atmosphere hasn't actually been that brilliant uh, before. And I kind of wished it was like that all the time. 
Yeah, talking of um, atmosphere, and it's it is one of those occasions when you remember, especially as a Liverpool fan, but but as a but as a football fan generally, where you were when Liverpool won the Champions League in two thousand and five, and up until this season, it seemed like that's all we had to crow about. And and at the time, it was so significant because it did come out of nowhere. You know, three nil down at half time against Antelotti's megastar AC Milan, three goals in uh, six second half minutes to level it up. Then of course it went into extra time. Heroics from Jersey Dudek, the Liverpool goalkeeper, earning Liverpool their fifth European Cup triumph after penalties. So it is it is one of those games that you you just you just have to doff your cap and go, okay, that is clearly one of the greatest European football finals of all time. But I want to flip it on its head a little bit and just recognise a couple of the games that got Liverpool there because we forget about these sometimes in the giddy haze that is Istanbul. It's easy to forget that Liverpool never, you know, so many times nearly didn't get there. In their group stage, they were sitting in third behind Monaco and Olympiacos. In that final group game against Olympiacos, they needed to win by two clear goals to get them through to the knockout stages. Uh, The score was 2-1 in Liverpool's favour going into the final few minutes of the game. It had been such a tense game. Uh, Steven Gerrard steps up, smashes the ball past the keeper to make it 3-1. And who can forget the semi-final against Chelsea as well? Both those ties, the atmosphere at Anfield for that semi-final, incredible. And also you know, just to pay tribute to the way that Chelsea behaved after the game as well. Jose Mourinho shaking the hands of all the players. Roman Abramovich up in the director's box, grinning and clapping his hands at the appreciation of a, you know, really exciting football tie. And and that went right down to the wire with Johnson's miss at the end, um, meaning that, you know, Liverpool could, with a huge sigh of relief, make their way through to the European Cup final. And significantly, that semi-final at Anfield was the first European Cup semi-final after the Heysel ban. So it, it, it kind of held um, a, held a huge amount of significance as well in terms of Liverpool's fo- uh, football history. You've both touched on ones that I remember very well. Um, I remember where I was when Istanbul happened. I remember where I was for the game with Manchester United and Roma. And I was, I was going to pick something from that era, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go more recent because it isn't very often something happens so close to this date, although it feels like a long time ago now, that really, you know, changes the course of history in football forever. And that's comebacks. And the famous comeback of of recent times happened just a day after at Anfield, Liverpool turned it around against Barcelona. And that was Spurs against Ajax. That happened in Europe. Uh, It was harder for those reasons as well, that they were going away for that second leg. They were 2-0, 3-0, if you count aggregate, down at half time. And everyone had written them off to come back and win on away goals I I honestly think that is one of the best football matches I've ever watched Champions League we're choosing again maybe for us with with English clubs and looking at how great the standard is in the Premier League it's easier to choose those moments in Europe that have happened at club level and not so easy when you're looking at England Scotland Wales uh, and Northern Ireland of course have been those times but if I was picking one I'm going to pick that one and it was only from last season 
Mm, Hayley. Well, I mentioned a team uh, north of the border and it's Rangers. I want to give Rangers a bit of a, a shout out because Scottish teams haven't done very well in Europe for quite some time. But there was a time when Ali McCoist ran riot for them. Um, yes, it wasn't against one of the best teams in the world. Alania Vladikovskov. Have you heard Who of again? them? Come again. Who <laughs> yeah, again? They, they were a Russian side. Um, they were not half bad. But yeah, Ali McCoy's side won 7-2. It was in the Champions League. He scored a hat-trick. It was quite an incredible game. He scored his first goal after 33 seconds in the 13th and 18th minutes. And he was the first player, Ibrox, to score a hat-trick in Europe for 10 years. Um, and that was him scoring 16 goals in Europe at the time. So that was a massive, massive win. They won 7-2 in the end. But guess what? It doesn't count because it was in qualifying. Oh, Oh, poor old Rangers. Big dot, dot, dot. Never mind. Hashtag story of their lives. Yes. Uh, This is a game that I watched in Greece, bizarrely. Euro 2004. um, There was kind of a long-term family holiday that had been half booked over this tournament, which kind of irked me a little bit. But at least everyone was up for watching the games. At this point, England had to boot Croatia to reach the quarterfinals of that tournament. Couldn't have got off to a worse start, though, for England when Niko Kovac put the Croats in front. Paul Scholes got them level and then uh, Wayne Rooney stepped up two brilliant goals from him to put them into control. There was another goal too from Croatia Um, but it was Frank Lampard's solo effort that put gloss on that scoreline. Final score 2-4 to see them through to Portugal in the quarterfinals. We know what happened in those quarterfinals of Euro 2004. It was Portugal, it was the Rooney injury heartbreak, it was the referee named the Swiss banker, it was the penalties, it was it was awful. But the game before that, we can certainly rejoice in. And I rejoiced a little bit more because in that bar in Greece, there was this annoying woman. OK, you know, when you watch football, sometimes there's someone in the pub or in the crowd or in the bar that just gets on your, you know, what's wick. Well, this woman kept repeating, Frank Lampard, couldn't hit a barn door? Couldn't hit a barn door? And, it, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd watched another England game there and it was it was the second time that I was hearing this. So for me, when when Frank Lampard got that brilliant solo effort in uh, to make it 4-2, I just felt like turning around to her and saying, Frank Lampard, can hit a barn door? Thank you very much. You can be quiet from now on. You, it, it, just, it, was, it was throughout the whole game. And you know, when you're like, yes, I, un- I understand the point, but stop laying into Frank. And uh, yeah. She probably had to after that. (laughs) Well, some fantastic football memories there. Thank you both. Up next to end the show, uh, we are going to quite simply try and change football. Who do you think you are kidding, Mr Hitler, if you think we're on the run? We are the boys who will stop your little game. Well, our last topic isn't really in keeping with the theme, but producer Rab has used the VE from VE Day to say VE very different rules. 
uh, make mm. sense of that if you can. But this was um, really inspired by the fact that Gordon Taylor came up with a brilliant suggestion, didn't he, that uh, perhaps football halves could be less than 45 minutes long when football returns to help matters out. Is it mad or is it genius? Uh, that's probably a question for another time. But instead, I'd like you to both indulge in some football rule changes. They could make sense. They could be utterly ridiculous. Um, I'll take anything on that spectrum. Do you want my, my one that makes sense first? Yeah, go on. Because this is just something that irks me. Every single time I watch a football match and it doesn't matter where and it doesn't matter when, it always happens, it's throw-ins. And there's either A, a foul throw that just gets missed. People just let them carry on, even though there is a rule to throw-ins nowadays. Oh, it has been for a very long time. Um, and the other one is the creeping up the line. You know, the, the ball goes out in one part of the pitch. They're pretty much in a different third by the time they throw it. It drives me crazy. So I would clamp down on that. I would get the fourth official or one of the linesmen to incorporate that into their role. To look yes, out for how, it. About, how about the magic foam, foam spray? How about that? Because then it would be yeah, entirely use precise, the foam spray. Yeah. There we go. Hayley. Okay, mine is stopping substitutes in injury time. It makes me so angry when you're just desperate for a game to be over. Yes, it could work the other way around where you desperately need to kill a little bit of time. But it just bothers me when you see a player sort of, you know, they've been warming up, warming up, warming up. You think they're never going to get on. 90 minutes has passed. You might have three minutes of injury time and that the team's just looking to kind of kill a f- little bit more time. There's just no point. What's that player going to do? It's very, very rare that they're going to come on and have a massive impact in a game. Yes, it has happened in the past and it has happened in some historical games. But most of the time, 95% of the time, it's just to waste a little bit of time and they kind of stroll onto the pitch and you're just thinking... Get me to the car park and get me home because my team is losing. Just get me out of here. Stop wasting time, please. Mm. The one thing I will say, though, is there'll be some young players who are like, no, give me the injury time substitution because mm. they'll get an appearance fee, of course. Yeah. And it's quite often when you see the teenagers coming on, isn't it, in the, the dying seconds of a game and at least get a little bit of cash for it. I suppose you could introduce some sort of time restriction, couldn't you? Or say that if you are, I mean, I'm probably verging into the outlandish here, but if you take a squad with you, then then you absolutely have to use a certain percentage of, of, of those young players, maybe, or you have to use a percentage of that squad so that everyone does get a bit of a go on the pitch. Um, but it, it would be nice to see that happen perhaps at more daring moments in the game rather than just in the dying embers to waste time. Um, here's a serious one for me cap transfer fees I don't want to be ridiculous about this I'm not saying that they need to be you know capped at 20 million I'm saying that 100 million plus is too much basically and that you know when you've got players like Neymar etc going for you know hundreds of millions of euros or pounds um, that is ridiculous Um, I don't think in this new world that we're living in, it's particularly fitting. I think it jars and there's just no need for it. Why don't we try and level the playing field somewhat? And as I said, I'm not you know, talking about ridiculous amounts, but why don't we cap it at 80 million or something? Or maybe think about capping players' wages. Linz? If you let my imagination run away with itself... We oh get to these sorts of realms, okay? <laughs> I I want football, and I, I haven't I haven't tweaked it massively. These are things that feasibly you could implement, but they never will be implemented. Um, you could use all the substitutes. 
So managers have to use the substitutes within the 90 minutes so that every single one that's picked gets some game time. And the other thing, I was thinking about penalty shootouts. And I know that there's a lot of drama in that that we all enjoy. But I'd love it if instead of the players doing it, the managers did. (laughs) (laughs) Which sounds like some sort of charity bonanza, doesn't it? Instead of the players doing it. I was thinking about this earlier. And if there's a way to get more young kids involved in football or just a way for it not to be so much of a cash cow. I just think that, you know... (laughs) This is just speaking as a mum and as everything else. I I can't say that football is attainable for my five-year-old. I can't necessarily get him to relate to a mega wealthy, mega star player living their best life on Instagram. I just think there is, you know, for me, there is just something, and this is probably why I like the women's game so much as well, there is something that grates a little bit with where football's at at the moment and all this arguing and squabbling about how we're going to finish the season and everything else does come into that a little bit. Um, It's interesting, isn't it? Because if we'd have talked about this um, perhaps last year, we would have mentioned video replays, goal line technology, a winter break, but of course there there, there actually have been some major changes to football uh, throughout the last year or so. So important to recognise that as well i'd like to implement a swear box you know <laughs> like you're, you're at home and a spitting with, with, one please yeah oh yes where if you're at home and you're a parent and you're trying to cut out the bad language and the cussing that you obviously pop a pound or 50p or however much it might be some shrapnel into a jar well if you're a footballer and you get caught swearing and it's during a game or even after a game if you're just caught swearing in whatever language it may be um, that you have to donate a certain amount of money into a big swear jar and it's given to charity at the end of the season mm. there you go Okay, we're going to wrap that up, if that's okay, ladies, uh, to move on, uh, because we are any other businessing next. Well, before we leave you folks, uh, to head back to your social distancing parties or your bunting making, however you're enjoying VE Day, uh, we've got some little stories to inform you about, news bits from the week that you may not have heard about. And Hayley, I'm looking at you via our little camera and um, you're drinking Iron Brew. Only a true Scottish or person with Scottish links would ever, ever think about bring, drinking as much Iron Brew as you. And it's it's actually surprised me a little bit. Absolutely. You know, I normally save it for the evening time, but today it's such a lovely hot sunny day. I just needed to drink a little bit of the magic stuff made from Gerders. And my other half, uh, he's German. He he absolutely loves it. I told him about it. He was like, what? And he couldn't understand why it was spelt how it was spelt, because it's it's obviously not spelt iron. And 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 by the way, he is a former chef as well. Yes, Um, and quite snobby with his his food. Yeah, Yeah, is he going to start using it in recipes? Oh, I don't know. Deep fried, battered iron brew fish and chips. That could work. We did have fish and chips the other night from the Village Green. Mushy peas, tartar sauce and iron brew. Doesn't get better than that. (laughs) Delightful. Let's go uh, to you then, Lindsay, please, for some any other business. 
Well, on this day, this very day that we're recording, it's actually the shrimp's 100-year-old birthday. So happy birthday to Morecambe. They've got a feature. If you go online, if you're on social media, somewhere like Twitter, you'll see that there's um, Jim Bentley on there uh, who they've featured and done a key interview with because he's been with them in various roles for a fifth of that time. So he's given a little insight into the club. Um, But yeah, happy birthday. Not many clubs are reaching 100 years old. We have to celebrate that. Yeah. Now, there's been quite a few concerns, hasn't there, during lockdown about the state of women's football and whether it will be irreparably damaged um, afterwards. Well, some good news uh, coming out of France. Paris Saint-Germain striker Cadilliatu Diani, uh, you would have seen her during the World Cup, uh, plays plays for France. She's signed a new deal with PSG. That makes her the second highest paid female player, only behind Arda Hegerberg. So there you go. Uh, and, you know, although that is about money and that's about excess, etc., it's still encouraging to hear big deals like that go through she'd actually turned down an offer to join rivals Lyon to stay at PSG so some some news coming out of women's football in France there Hayley well, this is a lovely campaign um boot the virus and it's um the most incredible fan Preston North End season ticket holder Kenny he's He's living with cancer right now, Kenny Marland. It's his fourth battle against cancer. And he's decided that whilst he's undergoing chemotherapy treatment and frustrated about having to stay home as well, that he would try and raise money for the NHS heroes. He's got a personal affinity with them. He was saying he wondered how he could combine his passion for football and help out as if he hasn't got enough on his plate at the Mm. moment. And he has basically contacted um, a ridiculous amount of clubs from the WSL, League Two, One Championship and Premier League team and various players to donate items and basically it's an auction which went live on the 1st of May and um, quite cool it finishes on the the 25th of May at three o'clock when the championship final match should have been played so it ties in with the end of the season and so many footballers have donated items you can simply go online at uh, bootthevirus.com and go and basically bid for Mm. Sign actually some goods of from... those prices are really reasonable. Yeah, Hayley. really you reasonable. You can pick up a pair of Premier League yeah. footballers' boots for a couple of mm. hundred quid, which, yeah. you know, obviously is still a, a significant amount of mm-hmm. money. But mm-hmm. if you've got the cash spare and you want to invest in a bit of memorabilia, it could be the way to go. Um, yeah, big names on there. as well, aren't they? Yeah, they are signed. So Eric Lamella, Jesse Lingard, David Villa. It's incredible, basically, how they've managed to get all these um, footballers Mm. to to, to donate. They said they haven't got all the auction items just yet because they're going to wait until social distancing um, rules um, have changed so they can actually get to the clubs. But they've all promised that these items will be signed and that you can bid for them as well, which is, uh, yeah, very, very cool indeed. And you can pick your club. They've put badges. So if I click on Manchester United, which I've done right now, um, Jesse Lingard, the current bid is £230 for his uh, match-worn boots. So just remind us of that website. Yes, yeah, so it's bootthevirus.com. Now, we've only got time for one or two more. I, I, I was going to make a joke about South Korea's K-League returning um, and you're basically basically going to be banned from talking uh, if you play in South Korea's K-League because, of course, it could contaminate people. So there's to be no close proximity talking, which would kill us, wouldn't it, ladies, if we were footballers, uh, to be banned from talking, pick up a card for talking. But producer Abby sent this absolute pearl of any other business to me and and and... and, and I must bring it up. Uh, Former England striker Carlton Cole 
He's revealed that he was uh, tricked into taking Viagra before England training by teammates Wayne Rooney and Jermaine Defoe. He revealed this uh, in the Footballer's Guide to Football podcast a few days ago. Um, He took the blue pill, persuaded by those teammates, thinking it was a vitamin, and uh, apparently took part in training with an absolute stonker, uh, said it made him the (laughs) quickest player there. Uh, Fortunately for for him, Fabio Capello uh, never found out. But just the just the image that that conjures. Carlton Cole never got too much of a chance for England, did he? Uh, but of course, when he was in training, uh, he was maybe maybe ably abetted by a blue pill. Well, on that uh, slightly sensitive note, uh, <laughs> we're going to conclude this week's podcast. Thank you very much, uh, ladies, for all your inputs. Uh, don't forget, you can find us at Offside Rule Pod uh, on all social media channels, Instagram, uh, Twitter, etc. And our website, OffsideRulePodcast.com. There's some good articles in there. Actually, some of our journals have been doing a bit of investigating. Uh, so there's some fresh content to come out there in the next few days or so. Um, talking about fresh stuff, what plans have you got for the bank holiday? Uh, Hayley, you've got a VE day party at uh, Lindsay you've got a three-day break coming up how will the Hooper household be enjoying themselves <laughs> um I think most of my time will be spent finishing Breaking Bad which I've discovered which I never saw the first time round. but I've watched now two and a half series three series so there's five in total maybe I can get to the end so you're just going to watch telly the whole weekend no, not the whole weekend. That tends to be a Sunday thing. But walks, I mean, there isn't really much else I can say or elaborate on. Housework, I do a bit of, um, we've got a wardrobe arriving, which I'm going to build. Um. <laughs> Tales of lockdown. This is about as exciting as it gets. I can't say that we're doing anything more thrilling. Uh, look, I can hear Ayla in the background telling us it's time to get a shuffle on. Hayley. That's, that's uh, exactly Lindsay. what she's saying. That's exactly what she's saying. <laughs> Uh, thank you to both of you Uh, if you're out there folks please look after yourselves stay well stay healthy our thoughts are with you and of course big shout out to all of our key workers people on the front line risking their lives to keep us all safe but we'll see you next week bye Bye. the mummy's coming the offside rule is a muddy knees media production for sales and advertising email sales at muddykneesmedia.com Marini's Media Sports Social Podcast Network